Welcome to a brand new episode of Public Health Uncoded podcast with Dr. Saroj Pachauri, brought to you by Center for Human Progress in partnership with the Protect Our Planet movement. Dr. Saroj Pachauri, a public health expert, provides commentary on some of the major public health issues of the current times and the various determinants of public health at play with high-risk and vulnerable groups. Every month, Dr. Saroj Pachauri, a doctor of medicine and a distinguished public health scholar, with over 60 years of experience will unpack key public health concerns and opportunities in the current global arena with evidence and insights in today's episode we are going to have dr saroj pachauri and our special guest ms madhubala nath a gender specialist who has worked on issues relating to gender diversity and inclusion across development sectors with swedish international development authority the united nations the international plan parenthood federation and n gender health new delhi india to uncode the topic gender for our listeners i drisha patak welcome you ms madhubala nath and dr saroj pachauri well madhu uh, it's such a pleasure and a privilege to be able to connect with you in this way and have an opportunity to talk about a subject the subject of gender which is very close to my heart as you know and i also know that it is very close to your heart in fact you have spent your life working on this issue and now this issue of gender is very fascinating actually in many ways but also very challenging the reason it's challenging is because gender impacts all aspects of development whether it's health whether it's sexual reproductive health whether it's economics whether it's politics whether it's socio cultural factors it impacts everything and therefore it it is truly challenging the other thing is that it is very widespread gender disparity is not confined to any one area or region it's a global problem however we also know that it plays out differently in developed and developing countries very right. differently in fact so madhu can you can you say a few words about this phenomena all right right thank you thank you saroj and thank you for inviting me for this you're so right it, gender disparity is so widespread and we all know that it is rooted in power relations between and among men and women so wherever there are men and women gender disparity is bound to be there but looking at how it pans out in developed and developing countries there is a lot of cognitive dissonance that is now coming up as we review the data on gender and rights across the countries i'll just share some data with you and then we can move our discussion forward you know the latest gender equality index uh, this comes out of the report that is published during the um, world economic forum every year where mm-hmm. countries are uh, rated according to their the amount of gender equality they have and they have four strong indicators which i will discuss soon but what one sees is in the top 10 countries the top 10 countries that are uh, doing well in terms of gender equality we have iceland on the top we have finland norway but you'll be surprised that we also have rwanda namibia and nicaragua in the top oh. 10 countries where there is gender equality now who do you call which country do you say is developed and which country do you say is not is the developing country in right. terms of gender equality they top mm-hmm. in the first 10 so now why is this happening and the more or i i i talk about it i go back in time to the 1990s when you and i were working a lot on uh, people centered development the human development report had just emerged yeah 
And at that time, what had struck us was that Saudi Arabia, um, with a per capita income of 6,240, showed female literacy rates at about 56 and uh, life expectancy for women at about 70. This was in 1990. Mm -hmm. And Sri Lanka, with a per capita income of just 400, was showing literacy rates at 88% and uh, life expectancy in the 80s female, uh, at that time. So mm -hmm. the whole concept of what is developed and what is developing changes the moment right. we look at it from the gender. And this That's is just a segue into a much deeper discussion on this. But I mm -hmm. just thought that this will stir the dissonance within us as we discuss this further. Amazing. Uh, this is, uh, in fact, very enlightening. Uh, you know, you and I know this, but I think not a lot of people would be aware of this, this discrepancy. And we are talking about developed countries, assuming that there is a level of disparity that would be, be better uh, of in, the, in those countries. And yet we find this dissonance that you describe in the, in the different countries and how it's changed over time. And just to highlight, the world per, average world per capita income is $17,000. And the uh, Iceland, Finland, Sweden have mm -hmm. per capita incomes over $61,000, which means four times that of the world income. Right. And, and Namibia, Rwanda, and Nicaragua have per capita incomes between 2,400 to something like uh, 4,800. Namibia has 4,800. Mm -hmm. which is way below the world, world per capita. So yeah, which see, clearly indicates that it's yeah. not the income, income factor. No, right, right, right. But it's not the determining factor. Right. And just so that we can have further, further our discussions, uh, you know, the four dimensions of gender equality that were adopted by the global community at the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. And see, this is not a gender forum. It's a World Economic Forum. And this is significant. Yeah. The four um, indicators were political empowerment, mm -hmm. educational attainment, health and survival, and economic participation. Right, the key ones. The key ones, and all these four have to be doing well to be able to get a significant place like these three countries have got. Right. And mind you, Philippines tops in Asia. A small country like Philippines oh. is doing very well on gender. It tops Asia. Amazing. Yeah. So in other words, what you're really saying is, Madhu, that it is an extremely complex issue. And there are layers and layers within it, you know. Yep. And yep. in order to understand the 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 picture, the real picture, you have to unlayer all these. You have to remove these layers so that you can get to the bottom of the of the picture. Right. Right. It's it's uh, it's not something like one plus one equals two. It's not linear. Yeah, you're it's right. It's a very highly convoluted and complex issue. Right, and, and certainly it's not any one indicator like economic indicator that will determine what, what's going to be the case with the gender disparity problem in the country or a region. Right. right. And the case of India is extremely interesting. Uh, if you have the time, I can quickly take a couple of minutes to discuss that. Yes, let's do that and then we'll go on to the next question. Right, Please go ahead. Right. Very quickly. You see, India um, showed a lot of politically empowered women because of a Panchayat uh, Amendment Act. Correct. And large numbers of women came into grassroots quality. Yeah. And so if you just look at the political empowerment indicator, India ranks 48 out of 146 countries. But the moment you factor in all the other indicators of education, health and uh, economic empowerment, India has come down to 140, uh, 135 out of the 146 countries. My gosh, that's a fall, my countrymen. Right, right. But see the how these... 
if those politically empowered women have not been able to convert their power into better indicators for women, we still remain where we are. Uh, you see, we still have the issues of education. We still have the issues of health. And all these are equally, or, you know, all intricately right. involved in this whole issue of gender. Right. And they right. play out in different ways. And, right. and clearly, not, no one indicator is going to tell us all. Exactly. Saudi yeah. Arabia has done well over the years, since 1990. Although still, there are major issues around women's rights. But the female literacy rates have come up. And it is faring uh, 59th out of the 146 countries. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> For yeah. Saudi Arabia, it's remarkable. Right. And India is not anywhere close right. to that. Well, this is a very interesting start to our discussion, Madhu. And I thought I'd go on to another question that bothers me all the time. It bothers everybody. And that is the issue of gender-based violence. Right. This hits the headlines also all the time and should. And it's a serious mm -hmm. outcome of gender disparity. And gender-based violence takes very many different shapes and forms, as we know. It goes all the way from rape, from rape, rape, including marital rape and sexual violence. It even impacts on issues like female genital mutilation, another form of gender-based violence, sex-selective abortion, and you might even go on to child marriage, which is also a form of violence because right. it impacts all kinds of other indicators as a result. So let's, right. have, let's spend a few minutes discussing this issue of gender-based violence, which, which is something that I think the average person uh, would be very interested in because it's hitting the headlines every day. We hear about these rapes, of the sexual exploitations of, of girls, even little girls like two and three-year-olds are being raped. Huge issue. Right. Well, gender-based violence, in fact, violence, I would say, is the worst form of gender disparities. And you've rightly explained that. I'd like to begin our uh, discussion here with getting to the root mm -hmm. of uh, gender-based violence. And two, two issues come up quite stark. Mm -hmm. One is a recognition, or a rather a critical element of gender-based violence is that it is about men struggling to position themselves in a society that values powerful men. Correct. It's all about power. So that is fundamental. And it is often, you know, you'll often hear, but you know, women are women's worst enemies. And women also do the same things. Yeah. But yeah. women, yeah, but women perpetrate gender-based violence only for their own survival and their own security. Correct. What a way uh, to do Absolutely. So this dynamic needs to be propagated, understood, and addressed if we want to really eliminate gender-based violence. Mm -hmm. The other very important thing at the root of gender-based violence is, you know, there is a huge aberration in our thinking. And what is that? The aberration is we don't stigmatize gender-based violence, but we stigmatize the consequences of gender-based violence. Isn't that ridiculous? Mm. We stigmatize abortion. We stigmatize mm. STIs. We stigmatize mm. HIV and AIDS, but we don't yeah. stigmatize gender-based violence, which causes all of this. How can you stigmatize consequences and not uh, stigmatize the cause? That's very interesting. That's extremely interesting. And now, Saroj, if you really look at our ways of addressing gender-based violence, these two issues are not really being addressed. And that is why you'll, have, you'll see a lot of laws, you'll have policies, you'll have women in police stations, uh, you know, all women police stations, protection officers in India and whatnot. But these two points are not addressed. And not just here. Mm. Look at what happened in the US about abortion. Mm. Gender-based violence is rising. Abortion is being uh, uh, legislated against. And not just now. 1985, Mexico City policy. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody could do work. Nobody got funds if they worked on uh, women's right to seek abortion. But gender-based violence, nobody stops funding. You know, if a country has high rates of gender-based violence, nobody stops funding. So this is where the fundamental issues are. A third mm-hmm. area where I think we have really uh, not hit the hammer on the head is about um, uh, the the two important things that all uh, programs on gender-based violence must, must address. Number one, women who are survivors or victims of violence have an extremely slow, uh, low self-esteem. But there is no work done on self-esteem development. Number one. Number two, such women have no constituency. Yeah. And no work is being done on, very little work is being done on that. I think that is where uh, we have uh, uh, a problem. And all this, these kind of approaches that we are ignoring are reflecting in very strange laws. I'll give you just one or two examples which you are aware of. There is, uh, according to the Hudud ordinance in Pakistan, the testimony of at least two male witnesses are needed for a rape case. Yes, yes. That's the Hudud ordinance. We all know it. Mm-hmm. Now, nobody understands the low self-esteem of a woman. How can she produce two males there? Number one. Number two, she has no constituency. Who will she get? Mm-hmm. And her uh, thing is not being, her, her testimony is not being regarded as worthwhile. Mm-hmm. So where does she go? And with, with no other person, it is counted as zina. Zina is adultery and she goes into the prisons for this. So do you it's, see the aberrations we are dealing with and not addressing the court? No, it's it's actually criminal. <laughs> Violence being treated with criminality in the way. And you know, right. the thing is that, as you said, the very first issue that you raised with regards to gender-based violence was power. Right. So basically, you see, it's a power play. A power play more for men to prove themselves. Exactly. It's it's power play perpetuated by men for their own power. That's what it is. So the question is, how do you address the issue of power? Basically, if you have to address this violence issue, then you have to address the issue of power. And that's a highly entrenched, you know, uh, socio-culturally this factor of viol- of uh, of power so socially con- socioculturally entrenched in the human psyche that where do you begin can i can i just um, share a couple of thoughts at this juncture you raised yeah, a very please. important poser see i think two things that i just mentioned propagating the whole discourse the aberration about cause and consequence you hardly see that in gender based violence programs that was fundamental unlearning stereotypes again there is no money allocated in gender-based violence program that looks at unlearning of the stereotypes. You have a lot of money for laws and enforcement and all of that. But unlearning the fact that men don't have to show themselves as powerful. They don't need to. Softer men are equally valuable for this country and for societies and for households. To build self-esteem and create the constituencies. You find wherever large groups of women have created the women's agency, in those areas, gender-based violence is at its minimal appearance. So I think these three are fundamental. And somehow we have focused on laws, but not on unlearning, not on self-esteem development and not on uh, the aberration and uh, cause and consequence things. And then if I may add to this issue, um, which sort of extends into the societal level in the form of, say, female genital mutilation or sex selective abortion. You know, these are societal. They They are across society. For example, sex selective abortion takes place regardless of income or education. It just goes across all of these factors and in for example it is the highest levels were found in south delhi one of the richest parts of the bell of parts of the country yeah. so you know these are other forms of violence that are perpetrated but which have taken a different sort of uh, course in a sense it's become i don't know uh, there's very little success that we have seen although efforts have been made by some and many but very little success 
these problems seem to continue and to perpetuate because they become part of the whole societal picture. And these are manifest, yeah, these are manifestations yeah. of the absence are not, are not getting to the roots of gender-based violence. I mean, I can list out from infantis, infanticide, feticide. These are all forms of violence. Marital rape, violence. sexual abuse, malnourishment is also violence amongst girls. Yes, it is. see divorce, unsafe abortions, honor killings, acid burns female genital mutilation, trafficking, and then uh, cultural violence, your female genital mutilation. Uh, what about uh, political violence sanctioned by the state and yeah. use, re using rape as a weapon of war? Exactly. Because we are trying to uh, perpetuate stereotypes and not investing in unlearning them in societies. The societal response will come the moment we allocate resources, funds, time, for unlearning a lot of these stereotypes that make masculinity exist in a particular form. And no other way of uh, form of masculinity is uh, acceptable. Acceptable. Yeah, but again, this, this, this discussion, as the previous one, again points to the complexity of the issues, you know, mm -hmm. the serious, seriously intertwined factors, the numbers of different factors that are intertwined to perpetuate gender-based violence, right. social, cultural, political, economic, educational, etc., etc., and therefore, there are no simple solutions, clearly, because if there were, we would have done something by now about them. And so these problems become intractable. Right. They are extremely difficult because and very intractable to, to, to um, change. Right. Although I would still say that these are evolving um, scenarios. And the more we discuss, the more we share this information, the more people then respond to certain learnings and unlearnings, um, I, I'm hopeful that we will be able to move ahead in, in ways that will ultimately take our course forward. And thank you for this optimistic note that you <laughs> have led to this rather discouraging uh, scenario. Um, but we do need optimism and you need to look positively to be able to address these issues. Thank you, Ms. Madhubala Nath and Dr. Saroj Pachauri for this honest discussion and exchange of knowledge with the present evidence on the issue of gender disparity. Gender disparity is a very wide topic and I'm actually amazed to know that among the top 10 countries with gender equality, there are developing nations like Rwanda and Namibia. Also, the timeline that Ms. Madhubala Nath covered from 1980s till today was more of a report card of the progress. As Ms. Madhubala Nath unlaid the topic, the excitement to know more about it increases. But we will close out the first part of the discussion today and we'll come back with Ms. Madhubala Nath and Dr. Saroj Pachauri in our next episode to discuss more about the involvement of men on the issue of gender disparity and the impact of pandemic on the targets of SDG 5 goal achieved so far. We also have a surprise element in our next episode. So stay tuned and keep listening. Public Health Uncoded with Dr. Saroj Pachauri.